This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. So this morning, uh, obviously, we're continuing our sermon series in James. And kind of the approach we've been taking through this book is what we call Somewhere to Land. And it's kind of this idea that as we're looking through James and seeing how he's writing to the church and just kind of specifically some of, you know, the context for that is they have been going through some really hard things. They've been removed from everything and everyone they knew and are being carted off to a faraway place. And so there's a lot of turmoil going on and there's a lot of suffering going on. And James is trying his best to write some words of wisdom and some uh, words of encouragement to those who are suffering. And so we've been kind of going through that and, you know, wisdom has been a big theme. Um, how we use our words and why our words matter has been a big theme. And so I kind of wanted to, as I was kind of thinking through those things and approaching this, this passage I had this morning, um, you know, just the idea of wisdom and how to consider that and what James is trying to communicate to his audience. I kind of, to put it all together, because there's kind of some different things going on in this passage and some different groups he's talking to, uh, I kind of came up with this for the big idea, the thing that I kind of want us to hang on this morning. It's this, that nothing is wiser than waiting on the Lord. Nothing is wiser than waiting on the Lord. And so that's kind of the theme that we're looking through this passage with this morning. And we're going to kind of talk about that, why I got to that place. And then we're going to kind of have two what I'm calling Exhibit A and Exhibit B. Two, James is kind of trying to give a message to the group, and then he kind of shows us two examples of you can kind of go down this route if you're not listening to what I'm saying, or if you actually want to listen to what I'm trying to tell you, like this is the way to like go about this, of gaining wisdom in these circumstances. And so that's kind of that's kind of where we're going through the passage today, and I share that to say that I think what's really happening here with like this passage is it's kind of what we're going to see is it's a clash of worldviews. I think on one hand, James is kind of showing us this is how the world operates. The people around us are operating in kind of this, this worldview of self-reliance uh, and self-indulgence, which, you know, we have no experience with that in the world around us. <laughs> it's, not, it's not relevant anymore, but we're going to talk about it, right? He's, he's kind of painting a picture of that. There's this worldview where we see, like, self-reliance and we see you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and self-indulgence, um, doing more to get more. And then he kind of paints this other picture of um, what I would consider a more biblical worldview, where it's ac- actually we see God as omnipotent, that actually God is the one who has all the power and the capability, and also that God is faithful as a judge, that he doesn't just let those things slide. And so I Sharing that to say, I think if we are going to take this to heart, that nothing is wiser than waiting on the Lord, that I think we need to realize that the wisdom that we need if we're going to navigate this as we're wrestling with these opposing worldviews um, is that we need wisdom, and not only wisdom, but we need wisdom that only comes from God Amen. if we're going to be a people who are set apart for his glory. Let me say that again. We need wisdom that only comes from God if we're going to be a people set apart for his glory. And I think that's kind of what James has been trying to do as he's been communicating these truths 
to the people that he's writing to. He wants them to remember that they are set apart for God and there is, you can cave to the way of the world or you can be set apart in the things that you pursue and the way that you go about life in a way that is more set on God and his ways. So before we jump to the text, let me just pray for us as we kind of try to consider this, uh, these things together. Father, this morning, I am well aware um, that I need your wisdom. I am well aware that I am not the most competent or the most elegant <laughs> of speakers or of theologians. Um, God, but I am thankful that um, that you have given our community um, a space to worship. God, that you've given um, even me a chance to to be in your word and to consider you more and uh, more deeply. And so I just pray this morning that as we look at this passage together, um, that your spirit would bring clarity. Um, God, that you would um, open our hearts like flowers before you um, to, to see your word and to marvel at it, uh, to see the, as we've talked about, as James said, see you as the father of light, a light that cannot be put out, that is brilliant. Um, yeah, God, we thank you for that truth, that that's who you are, and that you want to reveal yourself to us. So, yeah, would you help us <laughs> to be willing to, to hear your words this morning? So, to your name we pray, amen. amen. So, let, let's start with that kind of first big statement that I was saying, that nothing is wiser waiting on the Lord. And I want to start in kind of that first section of, of chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. That's kind of where we're starting. So again, it said, come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we go into such and such town. We spend a year there, trade to make profit. And James says, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Here's what he's saying. Here's what I think you should get. This is like an undeniable fact that we are ignorant about what the future actually holds. I'm sorry if I burst any bubbles this morning. You can't actually tell the future. <laughs> I know that we like to. We like to be able to think that we can. And yeah, it's like, I don't care how good the odds are. Like maybe there are some things in life that feel more certain than others, right? We're like, I know that if I... Oh, no, I'm kind of blanking on an example. Probably should have written one down. Uh, I know that if I run into the street as right as a car is coming, I'm probably going to get hit by that car. But I don't know. Maybe they look down at their phone and they kind of swerve on accident. They end up not hitting me. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. That was a terrible example. Don't run into the street, okay? Don't try to, don't try to prove me wrong. But, you know, what's the, what's the saying that you've probably heard? It's expect the, expect the unexpected. Or here's another one. Uh, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. Yes. I love that one. It's absolutely true. I like to think of it like this. Like when you're going to the movies and there's a movie that you've been looking forward to and there's been like six or seven trailers that have like come out and like a couple of months, they like waited a long time and then they released a bunch of trailers and you're like, 
okay, I, I think I actually know like almost everything that's going to happen in this movie now because they revealed too much. What the heck? What's with that? It's like in the 80s, like you got one trailer and it like showed nothing except like maybe like one thing is like going to hook you in. Um, it wasn't live in the 80s, but I imagine that's how it was. <laughs> we'll throw the 90s in there too. Give me a break. Aaron knows. He's old. But it's like they reveal so much. And so I feel like you build up these expectations. You're like, oh, I know exactly how this movie is going to go. But, you know, I've, I've, so I feel like I've kind of adopted this practice. I'm like, if I'm actually going to go to a movie that I want to see, I'm going to avoid the trailers. Or at least I'm going to avoid, like, any opinions about it or, like, any expectations of, like, I know that this movie is going to blow my mind. It's like, especially with Marvel, it's like, these are, like, B-movies at best at this point. <laughs> but you, like, go in there and it's like, and, you know, it's like, okay, if I actually have less expectations, then sometimes the movie actually ends up being good. You're like, oh, like, I came in with low expectations, and therefore it was good, because I expected the unexpected. <laughs> and I think, <clears throat> you know, maybe that's not the most amazing illustration, but I think it kind of points to the fact that James is trying to say, you're making all these plans, but you don't know what the future holds, and your plans can be good plans, like, you can look at them on paper and it's like, yes, this is a good plan. Like, this looks wise. That doesn't mean it's going to go according to plan. And James is saying, why are you doing all these things? Because you're, what is your life? It's a mist. You have no idea. You could walk out into the street and get hit by a car, and that would be it. You would be gone. There weren't cars back then. A camel. Psalm 103 kind of echoes what, what James is saying. I think I have it on the screen. He says, As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows no more. Like I was saying earlier, James, is, he's talking to Christians that have been put in horrible circumstances, stuff that, you know, Aaron has said over and over again. This is stuff that, like, most of us don't have a, a category for. Of, of what's what they're going through. And that's his audience that he's talking to. And he's saying, why are you making all these plans? You're going to go here, go there. You're going to make this money. You're going to change your circumstances, basically, by your cleverness. James knows that's a fruitless way to think. So like I said, we can't predict the future. And he knows that. And he also knows that that kind of thinking doesn't lead to a good place. So he says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. You know, I feel like uh, each sermon that I've preached to Emmaus has like gotten more and more relevant in my life like, in the week or, like, weeks leading up to it for some reason. It's like God wants me to, like, enjoy this more or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this has been super relevant for me in the past couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, so I guess I kind of have to dog on myself a little bit to make my point. So most of you know, if you don't, uh, I started kind of a side hustle because I'm a millennial. And uh, I'm doing, like, a coffee cart. Uh, before I go and do events and running a farmer's market this summer. And initially, I felt really good about it. And 
had my launch party in April and like almost everyone in this room came to that. And Sarah and I felt really blessed by that. And, and even leading up to that, had had a lot of conversations together and you know, like I had conversations with Aaron and Cole, the, with the elders and, and others of you in the community and really felt like this is something that God was blessing and was kind of giving his blessing for to pursue in, in a bunch of different ways. So I'm really great about that. Um, and then in the beginning of May, I had like a ton of things like all in one week and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then it just like went like this. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden there's like nothing um, from pretty much the rest of the month. And I was just in a like, in my head about it. And just, um, you know, I'm an Enneagram six because you're into that kind of thing. So it's like for me, one of my chief like concerns is security. It's like, okay, like, how do I like get the things that like, can make me feel more secure about this or that situation? So it's like when you feel like you're doing really good, and then all of a sudden there's like the stuff like disappears. You're like, ah, like grasping at straws, you know. And that's kind of where I was at the last couple of weeks, um, like leading up to today. And this passage like really hit me, honestly, as I was going through that, because um, I kind of feel like I was being these people, I was saying like, okay, like this feels good. I feel like God's behind me and like starting to make all these plans now of like how I think this is going to go, like how this card's going to do and what that's going to open up for my family and um, just, yeah, capacities and different things. And yeah, and then when that kind of got taken away, I think it exposed, exposed my heart because I, I think something we need to recognize, I think something that James is trying to tell them is that when we make plans, the way that we go about it exposes what's in our heart. And that was definitely happening to me <laughs> the last couple of weeks. I was like, oh man, like there are things coming out of my heart that I did not expect to come out. Even when like I ran through the worst case scenarios in my head. <laughs> then when like some of them started kind of happening, I was like, oh no, like I thought I was like being considerate of the Lord in this, but I think actually I was just like, I took one good thing he gave me and just like ran with it and just like kept going without like looking back. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. And I think James is warning us against that. And that's why I'm standing up here and confessing those things to you. Cause I think we all need to be conscious of that, of where our hearts are at and what our plans are saying about what we believe. And it's just, you know, I think one of the things as when I kind of realized that, I asked myself, like, man, why do we do that to ourselves? Because we all have stories like, like, I'm not the only one in the room that's done this, right? Like, if I have, like, congrats, you guys are better than me. James is saying, if it's actually the God of the universe who knows the future, who has a plan for your life, shouldn't you probably be consulting him more on things? <laughs> like if he, he's the God of the universe who spoke, all he had to do is speak and everything we've ever seen or experienced came into existence. We should probably be consulting him on what we should be doing. He's wiser than us. He's obviously more powerful, more capable of things than we are. Should we consider what he's actually calling you to do about that thing that you're wanting to do. 
Moses was super aware of this. And he says in Psalm 90, in verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If we want wisdom, we kind of need to have a reality check on who it is that orders our days. Who actually knows the number of our days? Is it us or is it the God who made us? Continuing on in James, in verse 16, he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it's, I don't think it's enough for us to, to recognize that we can't predict what's going on. Because, I mean, when you think about it, like for any time at all, it's obvious. But as Christians, we need to also acknowledge the providence of God over our lives. That truth that Moses is saying, that it is God who knows the number of our days. And recognizing that is where wisdom comes from. So James is warning his audience. He's saying, if you're going to make foolish plans that fail to consider the Lord at all, and then you're going to share with people about how great your plans are that you came up with, (laughs) the ones that you didn't consider the Lord in, he says it's evil. He's saying it's sinful. He's saying boasting in yourself, another word for that is pride, it's the opposite of humility. And what does scripture say? It says in several different places, so you know it's something God wants you to remember, that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Boasting in our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance, it's sinful. And we aren't, if we're not careful with that, then we become molded by a worldview and a posture that's opposed to the gospel. It's opposed to what we as Christians in this room are saying that we believe. It's not a road we want to go down. And James, to kind of hit the nail on the head, to finish uh, his audience off. (laughs) He says in 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I think he's kind of pointing back to verse 15 when he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He's saying, if you know the, the right thing to do is to consider the Lord in your plans, to go to him, on the things that you're wrestling with, on how you ought to live, what you ought to do. If you know that's the thing that you should do and you fail to do it, then we're being sinful. There's no way around that. Yeah, I think one of the commentators I was going through pointed this out, and I think this was super helpful. He said, we often think about sin as the things that we do that we shouldn't have done. Like, ah, I did that thing. I know I'm not supposed to do that. I need to ask for forgiveness for that thing that I did. Yes, true. There are things we do we shouldn't do. I think we can agree on that. He also says, sin is also when we know what we ought to do and we don't do it. When we know what God has commanded, when we know what 
God has asked us to obey and we just don't do that thing. We're opposing God in that. Maybe that's not always explicitly. We're explicitly doing that. Like, ah, God, I'm gonna show you. I'm not gonna do that. But you don't, like, maybe we're not, like, always shaking our fist at God and, like, outwardly rebelling in that way. But I think all of us could think of, you could probably think of something you did this week. Like, like, I felt like I should have done that and I didn't do that thing. And I'm, like, feeling that that was not the good, right thing to do, right? Um, yeah, sin isn't just the things we do. It's the things we left undone. And I, when I read that and I consider those things, I can't help but think of Jesus, specifically in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because even as he faced death on a cross and he was praying and pleading with God to the point where he was sweating blood, I mean, how many of us have done that? Probably none of us. Super intense. Even as he faced those things and he was burdened with the weight of that, the immense weight of that, He was steadfastly considerate of what God wanted for his life. And he's the only person who, in the face of something like that, or even the small things, always did what was right. He always considered the Lord before he did anything. That example should humble us. I think it should cripple us but it should humble us. I know I've said a lot of things. Um, not all of them are easy to hear. Can I offer some application? I would hope that all of us want to be more considerate of the Lord in our decisions in this room. I know I do. And I think... If we're considering that and we're saying, ah, I want to grow in that. How do I grow more and not just going ahead on my own and like actually stopping and considering if this is the Lord's will for my life? One, I think, and maybe this is obvious, but I'll say it anyway because we need to hear obvious things all the time because we forget. Uh, pray about your decisions more. There you go. But specifically ask for wisdom. If you're struggling with a decision or maybe you think the decision's obvious but you like want to consider the Lord more in it anyway, ask for wisdom. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to share more of who he is. He wants us to become more like his son who always considered the father. Pray about your decisions even if you kind of feel confident about them already and ask for God's wisdom in that. He might change your mind. Ask that God would demonstrate his will to you. I think, too, look to scripture. Here's a good question to kind of ask. Is this decision in line with what God has instructed in his word? And if it's not like cut and dry, like, should I or should I not murder this person? Uh, seek out others. And not just people who are in echo chamber. Like, don't go on to like Instagram with like the curated following you have and be like, hey, should I do this? <laughs> Sorry if that was condescending. Uh, 
but echo chamber, like, don't just go to somebody that you know is just going to be like, yes, like, do that thing. Like, don't even think about it. Like, you know you have that person, like, yes, girl. <laughs> go to people you trust to be honest with you. They're going to tell you things you don't want to hear. They may not always tell you something you don't want to hear, but, like, you should be able to trust that that person might tell you something you don't want to hear if it's for your good. Go to those people. I'll be one of them. I love telling people they don't want to hear. And know that the Lord, that those people are also seeking the Lord in those things. Those are good people to trust. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I'm saying all this to say there's nothing wiser than waiting on the Lord. I think we could sum all that up with there's nothing wiser than considering him first. Amen. There's nothing wiser than letting some time pass before you do something <laughs> because the Lord hasn't spoken to you yet. I think that's okay. It's good to wait. Because you know what? We talked about this in Isaiah. The Lord waits on us. He waits to be gracious to us. Why can't we wait on him? <laughs> so kind of establish that, I want to talk about the two exhibits, because James kind of, in the beginning of chapter 5, he kind of shows us um, two different examples of how we can, how we can respond to what we've been talking about. And so in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and you will eat flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And commentators have kind of argued, uh, is James kind of switching audiences here? Is he, he was talking to Christians, and now he's just like dumping on non-Christians that have like made foolish decisions. Um, there's some debate about that, but I think either way you could say like, Either way, this is an example of, like, a very clear example of what you should not be doing. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. And he's, it's interesting, because he is saying it's kind of a warning that if you want to go ahead and make your own plans, and you want to rely on your own wisdom, and your very finite knowledge of the future, you might actually have some success. You might actually gain the things that you want. But it doesn't last. And it doesn't put you in a very good place at the end. And he's kind of referencing Jesus here from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And he says, says this. Jesus tells us directly, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James is saying, you want to make plans and get ahead in life? Fine. Like, go ahead, do that. But it doesn't last. It fades. 
It's temporary. You know what else Jesus says? He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Consolation is like a fancy way of saying like, like, that, like that's it. Like that's like the most that you're gonna get. <laughs> that's your reward. If you wanna pursue the things that fade and you wanna pursue your own wisdom and to like store up those things for yourself, you might actually get them, but that's all you'll get. And then they fade, they don't last because they're not eternal. I think the warning is clear. I hope it is. That if what you want most comes from the world and you're going to use the world's way of getting it, then that's your reward. And when you look at it like that, it's not so great, <laughs> is it? Uh, the 2024 20, Tacoma is not so great, is it? out of reach, very far out of reach. <laughs> James is saying, boasting in our self-sufficiency is sinful. Oh, oops, that's the wrong page. <laughs> I'll say it, boasting in your self-sufficiency is sinful. Uh, moving on to verse four, he kind of is saying again, he's kind of describing the character of these people. He says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by a fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And there's some Old Testament references in that. Specifically, he's basically saying, like, you're not following the law. <laughs> like, the law is very clear on not frauding the people that work for you. Uh, it's very clear on not fattening your heart on the day of slaughter, day of atonement. And you condemned and murdered the righteous person. And I want to pay attention to the last verse because James is essentially equating these people, the people he's rebuking, to the people who literally hung Jesus on the cross. Saying, if this is how you're gonna go about life, you're not any better than the people who murdered Jesus. Ouch. I'm not trying to say that wealth equals injustice and sin and a horrible posture. Like, just because you have money doesn't necessarily mean, and like, so you should just, you know, not have any wealth. I'm not trying to say that. But I think maybe a good question is that we should ask ourselves is when do we have too much? And what did we do to get it? Because I think those questions force us to consider the things we have. And I feel like it forces us to consider our posture towards them and towards how much we consider the Lord as our provider. So that's exhibit A. 
Um, hopefully, I don't have to say this, but um, that's probably not the person that you want to exhibit or be. So let's look at exhibit B. Here's the other group. Here's a, a different response. And verse 7, James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's interesting, he says that twice. He says the coming of the Lord two times in this little section. And I think we can consider it two ways. I'll give Aaron credit because he helped me see this. <laughs> um, I think in one sense, as, as all Christians do, we are waiting on the return of Christ. When he comes again, his second advent, to restore creation and right all wrongs. Yes, we are waiting for that. But I think he's also kind of trying to say like, but also wait for the coming of the Lord in the sense of waiting on God to work something out in a specific circumstance, in a specific situation in your life. Waiting on his word for what you're going through right here and now. Which is also like another way that we wait on Christ to come, right? That we know that not everything is as it should be. And while we're dealing with that, that truth in these different situations, like we also know that God is working until he returns. He's not just not working and then he's gonna come back and like do all this stuff. He's working presently now. So yeah, there's like a sense that we're kind of waiting on him in different ways. But the point is that we should be waiting. We should be doing it with patience. And he kind of gives us some, some great examples of, of people that do this. He, and the farmer, it's a great example. He says, you know, and I would say to this day, there's probably not a better example honestly, of a profession that requires patience, <laughs> requires trust, maybe teachers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think when you think about it, like the, I mean, agriculture has come a long way since the first century, I would think. But also it's kind of one of those things where it's like, even with all of our technology, like we're kind of at the whim of the earth. You know, we're at the, the whim of, weather and rain and, uh, you know, like when drought happens, you can't, you know, another thing you can't predict. Um, there's a lot about that. We're just we're kind of at the whim of, of God's providence in those things I mean, in a really obvious way when it comes to agriculture. And so I think that's the farmer is a great example. And James is saying, be like the farmer who is patient on the first and the last rains. Being patient and note your limitations and be okay with them and wait on the Lord to be the one who's provident. In verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And I think it's super wise that James would add this to his argument, because patience is hard. It just is. Dealing with other people and trying to be patient feels almost impossible <laughs> sometimes. You know, I think kind of going back to what I was sharing about myself um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, this verse stands out to me because I, as I was, you know, 
sitting with this passage and thinking through it and wanting to apply it, I was recognizing ways where I definitely was not being patient with Sarah, not being patient, and other examples of like not being patient with people around me. And I, so I, that's why I say that James is wise to include this, that, that part of being patient and part of gaining wisdom in our, in our waiting on the Lord and considering of the Lord is, uh, is going to contribute what comes out of us and how we interact with others. I think if we're going to not consider the Lord, we're not going to be patient on him, or maybe we just don't care what he has to say, we just do what we want, like, what is going to come out of us and what's going to come out of us that affects others? Probably not good things. Definitely not patience with people that you, like, probably barely tolerate as it is. Um, but even the people that you love most, it's going to affect them too. I think James is arguing that we should have a different approach. Um, even in the sense, you know, he says, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Yeah, I think Jesus cares what, what comes out of us as we're waiting on him. And also that we don't need to be concerned with being the judge because he is. If our hearts are fixed on him, then you know, like we should be more concerned with that than judging what's coming out of somebody else. But I would also say, too, that, that if we actually are going to grow in patience on the Lord, we need our community to help us with that. Like, I need people to remind me or to show me, like, hey, like, I'm hearing what you're saying about how your week is going. Sounds like you haven't been very patient with your wife. <laughs> you should probably check yourself on that. Like, I had that conversation this week with my DNA. I'm really glad James put that in there. And Paul knows that too. In Ephesians 4, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And he equates patience with bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity with the Spirit and the bond of peace. So kind of wrapping up, in the last couple of verses, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I think these are just another great examples of people who were steadfast, people who are patient on the Lord who had more wisdom than most of us in that. You know, in, in speaking to an audience who was suffering in difficult circumstances, I'm sure it was pretty easy for them to relate to people who were known with being affiliated with suffering, like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Isaiah, he had to walk around naked for three years. That's not fun. And then I'm pretty sure he like got cut in half or something, like he died a martyr um, after being not listened to over and over again. Uh, Job, I mean, if you read any of Job, like, horrible stuff happened to him. Yet he refused to curse the Lord. He complained a lot, but he didn't curse, he didn't curse the Lord. And we have Jesus. Like we already said, what better example than Jesus? 
God in the flesh came down to earth to experience all the things that, honestly, we don't like. Hunger, being tired, dealing with difficult people. Yet he did those things and handled those things perfectly. And I think in Jesus, we, like Job, have seen the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. In a way that those like Jeremiah and Job and, and Isaiah could have only dreamed of. See, our reward when we wait on the Lord and wisdom is that we get more of Jesus, that we become more like him, who is the wisest person that there ever was. Amen. You know, Moses, remember what he said in Psalm 9, that understanding our, our limitations, surrendering that God is the one who knows the number of our days is the heart of wisdom. That doesn't mean that we don't wrestle and the waiting, because this is what he says right after that. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses, like James, is saying, essentially, if we are willing to consider God's will for our lives and be patient on him to work, he's going to show up. God's favor is going to follow your humility. And the things that you pursue in light of that are going to have meaning. Maybe the greatest thing that we can take away from this as we're seeking wisdom, as we're waiting on the Lord, is that we just need to be more willing to let go of our ideas. Let go of your expectations. The plans that you think are good, even if on paper they are. And hand them over to God who by default has good intended for you. God doesn't withhold things to spite us. If he's withholding something, it's because he has good intended for you. We don't always get to understand that because we're finite. But we can trust that. Let me... Uh, wrap up with this because some really crazy things happened to me like literally in the last two days that just kind of blew my mind so I was sharing with you about you know I've been kind of wrestling with and starting to recognize uh, like I've been kind of going on on my own living in anxiety trying to make plans for myself and not really considering God in them and I kind of came to a head last week 
and I was sharing with Aaron just kind of where I was at in that. Um, and just really, like, confessing that to him. And um, I feel like Aaron was able to encourage me in that and kind of walked away from that time and just spent time with the Lord and just praying and just giving those things over to him and saying, God, like, I hear what you're saying in your word. Like, I hear what, like, people in my life are telling me I need to consider. I want to give those things to you. Like, I'm ready to do that. Like, I trust you with my business. I trust you with, like, my security. I kid you not, that night, I got an email for an event to be booked. And it was just, like, a small event. I was like, that's really generous of you, God. You know, it's, like, a small event, like, you, like, heard my prayers. And then two days later, that person emails me back, addressing them the estimate. It's like, oh, this is great. Like, we'd love to do it. Also, actually, this is 12 events <laughs> spread throughout the year that we want to book you for. Like, we've already decided, like, you're the person we want to hire for all these. Um, so that was amazing. I was like, I was not expecting that. Thank you, God. You know, like, maybe some of them, like, won't, like, totally pan out. But, like, that's very generous of you. Thank you. Also, as a lot of you know, like, Sarah and I have been looking for a second car, like, specifically a minivan, because we're super cool. Uh, so I, like, found, I, like, was just, like, okay, like, it was causing a lot of tension in our house. I was, like, I'm just going to post on Facebook. I haven't posted on, like, Facebook on my wall in, like, 12 years, probably. Like, the last thing is on there is, like, embarrassing for me to read, probably. I, like, just post, like, hey, like, does anyone, is anyone selling a minivan? Like, SOS. Like, please help. Somebody, like, messages me, like, an hour later, and, like, a posting uh, of someone who's selling one in Joplin, Missouri, which, like, where we went to school, for, like, $4,000. Like, super cheap. It was old. And so I, like, messaged them, like, okay, like, making a plan. Like, he's going to sell it to me. I'm going to, like, buy a flight to Joplin, like, this week, and, like, fly down there and, like, you know, get to see some friends, which is fun, and, like, drive it, like, 10 hours back home. And, like, cross my fingers. And uh, so I'm like, okay, like, we got that plan. Like, oh, that's, like, that's so great. Like, thank you, God, for providing that. Before I can book my flight, I get a text yesterday. Joe Biden get a, you cash? No. <laughs> I get a text from a family friend in my hometown in Oklahoma that said, hey, we prayed about it. We want to give you our minivan for free. I'm not saying that God is going to show up like that every time. But I guarantee if you submit your life, if you submit your plans, your expectations to him, he is going to give you more wisdom. He's capable of growing you in patience. And his favor is going to rest upon you. I can't tell you how that's going to look. It may not be a free minivan. <laughs> in most cases, it's not a free minivan. <laughs> But it is good because it's going to come from him, not from you. So can we rest in that this morning?
Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, I know that I'm humbled by your goodness. Jesus, I'm humbled by my, at times, arrogance and my flippancy with your presence, with your promises. But God, I'm I'm thankful that you, as we sang this morning, you've proved yourself over and over that all of us, um, (laughs) whether it's uh, a minivan or um, something, something of significance that we were waiting on, that you've given us clarity or given us a decision um, or a blessing or a new direction. God, there are so many ways that you work that are mysterious to us, but God, you have all of us, I think, in this room could say, God, I sought you, and you proved yourself to be faithful. You've proven your words revealed to us about who you are to be true. God, I thank you for that. Um, I thank you for the super crazy, tangible answers and ways you prove yourself. And I thank you for the ways that you prove ourself. You prove yourself that sometimes fly under our radar and we don't see until later. So, God, would you empower us by your spirit to, to pursue you more, to consider your wisdom greater, better than any of the other things that we could pursue, better than the things that fade. God, give us a patience that, that causes the world to scratch their heads, that causes others to say, how can you have peace? How can you have joy? How can you be so sure? And we can have an answer that looks like Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence, for your word, and for your promises that are true. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.